Welcome to this week's podcast. I'm Mickey Badlamenti, discipleship pastor here at Rock Point Community Church. Our goal in the messages we share is to consistently present God's truth in ways that will challenge you, bring you new perspective, and ultimately lead you into closer relationship with God through Jesus Christ. Wherever you're listening from, we hope this message encourages you in your faith. We also welcome you to visit us anytime you're in the Detroit area. Our Sunday services are at 9 and 11 a.m. and include a full range of children's programs, as well as a ministry specifically for children with special needs. Find us on Facebook or visit our website at rockpoint.org for more information. Good to see you. How many of you are ready for miracles? Ready for God to do something, to move? Um... I just want to say something about, first of all, it's so good to be with you. Thank you, Pastor Randy. Thank you, whole team, for, for just hosting me. I'm just honored to be here. I'm also sweaty, but it's all right. Um, thank you also for the uh, winter weather. Thanks for putting me in the holiday spirit as I flew in yesterday. Wow, you Misha, Michiganders? What do you, what do you, uh, hearty souls up here. Congratulations on that. Um, you know what gives you a hearty soul is the ability to pray when it's not easy to pray. The ability to give God praise in, in a tough season, when you're in a battle, when you don't see maybe what you're believing for. That posture, I believe that posture of faith and hope in God pleases the Lord and is an opportunity for us to offer a, sacri- a true sacrifice of praise Don't ever diminish the opportunities that you may have to give the Lord your offering of sacrifice when something's difficult, when you're in a battle. Praise God for the ups. Praise God. He's with us as we were singing. He's with us in the mountains, but he's also with us in the valleys, right? And um, this morning I want to talk about prayer, but the song we just sang was really a prayer song. Uh, Myself and a group of friends wrote that. It really, in a lot of ways, is a lament. Uh, But it ends with this hopefulness, a readiness, looking to God. And that's really what we find in the Psalms. Um, One third of the Psalms are laments. And when we give God worship in our difficulty, it is he, I believe he's honored by it. And he can move. My dear friend uh, who helped write this song with me, he was going through, his family was going through a really challenging time. And uh, they were believing God for uh, healing in someone's, uh, dear loved one's life. And God did not heal them for whatever reason. They were trusting God and brought um, his niece, uh, went to heaven. But he still was able to say, Lord, I trust you. You're able to do it. And praise God, it's no cop-out, by the way, to say that uh, his niece is fully alive and well and whole in Jesus' presence right now. That's not a cop-out. That's true. 
And it's important for us in our suffering to also remember that God is going to, is making all things new, but we're in the here and not yet phase. And so we, it's important for us as believers to look forward, to look forward in hope to what we see in the risen Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, right? And the promises of his word. And there are, there are prayers that unite the church to help us keep that posture of faith and hope in God when things are up and when things are down because we're looking at the one who is our hope. Amen? And so this morning, I want to talk about prayers that unite the church. The church um, was committed to, early church was committed to four things we find in Acts chapter 2, verse 42. It says that they were devoted to four things. Devoted. Now, They were devoted, one of the things they were devoted to was prayer. We're going to get to that in just a minute. But look at the things they were devoted to. Read this with me. They were continually devoting themselves to the apostles' teaching, to fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. Or the prayers. Some uh, translations can can translate it. The prayers. What, What were they doing? I love all of this. It's important to have good doctrine. That's really important. To really believe what the word of God. Who is God? What has he done for us in Christ Jesus? A lot of times when we think of the apostles or think of the apostles' doctrine, sometimes we think of it as summarized in the creeds, for instance, uh, wonderfully summarized. Who is God? What has he done for us? When we think about the Apostles' Creed or the Nicene Creed or the Athanasian Creed. But, but they were committed to the gospel, to what, the, what Scripture said and what Jesus taught. And, what the, and they carried this message of, of God's uh, salvation to the world. And, they, and the early church was, was committed to this. And they were also committed to fellowship. And that's not just hanging out uh, over a meal after church, although we all like that. But we're talking about the word there in the Greek is koinonia, that deep spiritual fellowship that happens. That's when the Holy Spirit is at work in relationships to manifest the presence of God and to, and to advance his kingdom. The Holy Spirit does that. And um, in fact, the Holy Spirit has done that for all eternity. Um, you know, the Father's love the Son, the Son has loved the Father, and uh, it's always been celebrated and facilitated by the Holy Spirit. Isn't that cool? I mean, just think about that. That'll blow your mind, but that's another sermon. <laughs> and, then, and then you have the breaking of bread. Uh, once again, I love breaking bread, but we're talking about communion here primarily, that they would come and around the table remember and, and experience God's presence as they were breaking bread and drinking the cup and remembering the finished work of Jesus. And God was with them. And then they were committed to prayer, the prayers. What were they praying? Well, we start to, we start to find out as we really look at these texts in Scripture. And, t- and today, I just want to introduce you and maybe whet your appetite to praying the prayers that unite the church. And, and when we think of prayer, sometimes we think of the perfect prayer. The one that Jesus taught his disciples to pray. What do we call that? We call it the Lord's Prayer. Maybe some of your tradition we might have called the Our Father. That's fine. But Jesus taught his disciples to pray. They asked him. They saw Jesus experiencing communion with his Father. And, after, and at some point they're like, Jesus, teach us to pray. And he says, and he says now, uh, in Matthew, he says, the, the, the Father knows what you need already. And yet then he says, but pray this way. And I love that, first of all. Because, you know, the other thing is that when you pray the Lord's Prayer, you're praying this, it's, there's a lot packed in there. But let me tell you, it really keeps you from just kind of praying. Up. And none of you here have ever prayed a selfish prayer, right? Have you guys ever just been focused on that? How many of you whined a little bit with God? You don't really, you just kind of, 
flub around and you, you just flop around and you try to figure out how to, how, to, how to say what you need to say to God. But can I say that God has given us language to be able to enjoy his presence, to be connected with him, to experience his love, and to enter into a relationship of worship and prayer. This is an invitation from the Lord, but he's given us language to do that. And the Lord's prayer is one of them. But the other is, you can pray scripture. All, you know, all scripture is, is profitable, for sure. But there is an actual prayer book in the middle of your Bible. Some traditions call it the Psalter. We call it the Psalms. These are the prayers, the prayer book and the worship book of the church, the ancient church, and even before the birth of the church. Go back another thousand years. Israel was praying these prayers and singing these songs in worship to God. But something really cool starts to happen when we start thinking about the Psalms. When you think about the Psalms, you think, uh, you think of David. How many think of David when you think of the Psalms? Well, that's right to do that because David wrote 73. There's 73 Psalms are attributed to him. And so he wrote the bulk of them, the lion's share of them. And uh, then there are other contributors, you know, some other uh, writers that, that show up. The Holy Spirit inspired. You got one in there from Moses. Yay, Mo, or Moses gets one in apparently. And uh, Solomon, David's son. We had Asaph and the sons of Korah. We've got Ethan. I got a son named Ethan, so I kind of like that. Psalm 89.1. Um, with my mouth, I'll make known your faithfulness. So you got all these other writers, but David is thought of primarily, and that's important. David uh, is certainly, first of all, an ancestor, Jesus' ancestor, right? Jesus is called the son of who? David, right? David was a prophet, priest, and king, really in the way that he functioned, and in that way also serves as a type of Jesus. Beautiful. But he was very prophetic. And the cool thing is, when we start to think about the Psalms, um, we think we can, we, can, we can approach it. Sometimes people approach the Psalms and they, and they, and they use these prayers and these songs. And they, it's a very kind of personal, let me just pick out something that makes sense. Because I can't make sense of it all. But let me just find something that I can just find to take my day. I don't know about the rest of the stuff. But at least I, li- I like Psalm 23. How many of you like Psalm 23? Who doesn't like Psalm 23? It's, it's David's greatest hit. But... But, but I, li- I love the Psalms. But then some are a little sketchy, you know. I don't really know how to pray. I don't like, I don't, don't get me down, you know. I don't, I saw you skip over the lament songs. I mean, don't raise your hand. You can raise your hand if you want to talk. You skipped over some of the, the, the stuff that's like, yeah, this is a little dark. He's definitely having a bad day. Let's just get... But as we like to say, us songwriters, you know, bad, bad, hard times makes good music. And if you, if you learn how to pray the Psalms and approach the Psalms, you're not just, you're not just, uh, kind of reading somebody else's lyrics, you're not just getting into the life of David. That is one way to think about it. When you're reading this, you are tracking with the life of David uh, somewhat. And um, different experiences along the way where people turn those into an act of worship and praise directed by the Holy Spirit. Um, but you go to another, you get to go to another level when you think about Jesus because Jesus prayed these Psalms. And in fact, the Psalms speak of Jesus. How do I know this? Well, uh, before I get to that, I want to say something else about David. 
when you start to pray the Psalms, you're really, you're getting a hold of some power that maybe you haven't taken advantage of if you're not soaking in the Psalms and learning how to pray the Psalms. And by the way, you noticed I mentioned the Lord's Prayer and Psalms. They really go together. Dietrich Bonhoeffer read a great book called The Prayer Book of the Bible. And he says this, in paraphrasing, but he says that the, the Psalms are the Lord's Prayer expanded. And the Lord's Prayer is the Psalms condensed. Isn't that cool? So in a lot of ways, they really go hand in hand. And, um, and so, so David, as he's, as he's uh, going through his journey with the Lord, he's responding to God. And what we think possibly is that David's first psalm started to be written right there in the presence of Saul. Now, he had a tough crowd. Right? I mean, you're a great crowd. Thankfully, you're not throwing javelins at me while I'm leading worship. But David had a tough crowd in Saul. Do you remember the story? I mean, David was, it says that Saul, King Saul, who was just in a, he was in a bad way, rebellious against the Lord, and he was tormented by an evil spirit. And he brought David in, this, this, this great warrior, this hero. He brings him, brings him in, and he puts him in his court, and he says, now play, play for me. And so he's basically in the court playing songs and dodging, you know, javelins and all that. But, but what a tough crowd, heavy spiritual atmosphere. But can you imagine that if some of the first Psalms were being just flowing out of his heart in life in the power of the Spirit, that it says that as he played, what happened? The, the, that Spirit left and the atmosphere changed. What could happen if you and I started to pray songs, the songs of Scripture? What could happen to your atmosphere? You know, strongholds. The work of the enemy could be dismantled when we start to use this language. This is really important. God has given us language to pray. One other thing that Dietrich Bonhoeffer mentions, and you can tell I'm a little bit of, just a little bit of a fan. But anyway, he says, you know, he says, don't pray what is just whatever comes to mind. Sometimes we do that. Don't pray from the overflow of your heart. You know why? Because a lot of times our heart kind of has some agendas and is not always in tune with what God wants, right? Instead, learn how to pray the words that, Jesus, that, that God has given you. When a child is learning how to speak, and I'm not just talking about just like, you know, baby talk, gaga goo goo stuff. We're talking when a baby is getting old enough to learn how to communicate and to have relationship, guess how they learn? They learn how to speak by listening to the words of their father and their mother. Isn't that cool? You want to learn how to pray? The way that God invites you to learn how to pray the words that he's given you to pray. So I just want to make that case. Now, the cool thing about the Psalms is that not only do we think of David and David, but David was speaking of Jesus and Jesus prayed these Psalms. You see, the, G, the, the, the Psalms reveal who Jesus is. In fact, this is what Jesus said about the Psalms to his disciples in Luke 24. Starting in verse 44, he says this. He said to them, this is what I told you while I was still with you. Everything must be fulfilled that was written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms. And then and he opened their minds so that they can understand scripture. I believe that, that as Jesus began to walk with his disciples, we, there's so much that is kind of implied. You don't get all of it through the, the gospel narratives. But clearly, Jesus was explaining to them who he was. And as they were reading these ancient scriptures that, that, that the community of God, the people of God prayed for thousands of years, they, they, it's starting to come alive. Oh my word, we've been praying about the one who is now among us. 
How exciting that must have been. And, and you can tell that the early church, that, are, that the apostles really got a hold of this. They watched Jesus pray the Psalms. In fact, before he, at the Last Supper, before they crossed over the Kidron Valley and into the Garden of Gethsemane where Jesus was betrayed, it says there's just this little, a little uh, phrase in one of the Gospels that says this, and they sang a hymn and then they left. <laughs> That's cool, Jesus sang a hymn. What were they singing? Well, they were singing probably one of the Hillel Psalms from Psalm 113 through 118. How do we know this? Well, if you read those, that little section of Psalms, these were the Psalms that were sung, that were, that were used during Passover. And guess what the Last Supper was? It was a Passover meal. And as you read these, these Hillel Psalms, particularly the latter ones of that grouping, you find that it speaks of Jesus and Jesus' cup of salvation. Isn't that amazing? So Jesus was singing and praying along with his disciples these psalms. And he goes over to the Garden of Gethsemane and in his anguish and in his prayer, of course, we capture some of what he prayed, John 17. How many of you have read that before? The, the prayer of Jesus for his people and for unity and all that. But we also, it's very likely that Jesus was also praying Psalm 40 and Psalm 41 in the Garden Thy will be done, you know. And, and, uh, and also, there's mention about Judas, about betrayal in these psalms. And so, Jesus was once again even praying these very psalms that spoke of him, by the way, and in, in the Garden of Gethsemane. In fact, in Hebrews chapter 10, verse 5, it places the words of, of, of Psalm 40 in the words of the incarnate Son in Jesus. It says this. I'm going to read Psalm 40, verses 6 through 8. It says, Therefore, when Christ came into the world, he said, Who said? Christ said, Sacrifice and offering you did not desire, but a body you have prepared for me. The incarnate Son. Isn't that cool? With burnt offerings and sin offerings, you were not pleased. But then I said, Here I am. It is written about me in the scroll, and I have come to do your will. Oh God, Jesus praying to the Father as he gives up his life for you and me. And then Jesus goes to the cross. And what is he doing on the cross? You'll never guess. Guess what he's praying? He's praying the Psalms. Psalm 22 starts with this. There were no chapter headings back there. So when they would pray the Psalms or when you would start a Psalm, start that prayer, you would start with the first line of that particular song, that particular prayer, right? And so Psalm 22, a song of lament, says this. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And Jesus feels the weight of sin becoming sin for you and me. He was sinless, the sinless one. But he took our sin. And so he says, he feels that weight of separation that sin causes. And he did it for you and me. And Psalm 22 is amazing. Read it and pray it. And as you do that, think of Jesus on the cross. For you and me. And then he also likely prayed Psalm 31, some other utterances. We get little phrases from the gospel writers of what Jesus said. Psalm 31, into your hands I commit my spirit. Right? The apostles were also soaked in the Psalms, so they see this modeled in Jesus. And then they start to do it right. What happens in the upper room? Okay, do you remember after Jesus uh, uh, rose from the dead, he says, now wait in Jerusalem until you are imbued with power, right? And so they go into Jerusalem, and they're in the upper room. 
You remember the story. How many of them were in there? Do you remember? 120. And you got the apostles. You got the other disciples and followers of Jesus. You got Mary, the mother of Jesus. They're all there waiting in the upper room. What are they doing? Are they just hanging out? Doing Instagram posts? Playing a little Xbox? Eating some baklava? No. They're praying the Psalms. And, and, and Peter at some point steps up and he says, hey, we've got a vacancy in the, uh, in the apostolic council here. We need to fill it. Where does he even get that information from? Guess what? You'll never guess he got that from Psalm 69, verse 25, and Psalm 109, 8, which speak of Judas and his office being left to another to be filled. And so what do they do? They trust God and wait on him and elect uh, Matthias to step in. They're praying the Psalms. They're waiting on God. And then after the outpouring of the Holy Spirit in Acts chapter 2, they were all filled with the Holy Spirit. They're so, so full of the presence of God, so full, full of fire, being purified and filled with power to be witnesses like Jesus said in Acts 1.8, that they spill out into the streets and as they're praising God, they draw a big crowd. Everybody's like, what is going on? We can hear you praising God and what he's done in our own native tongue. It was a, that was a miracle. And Peter gets up to preach, and you'll never guess what text he decides to preach from. Oh, you're, you're a quick crowd. You're with me. Let's go. Yes, he's preaching from the Psalms, and he begins to preach uh, in, in this sermon. And he says, um, he preaches to all these, all these folks who are listening to the gospel. He preaches from Psalm 16, 8 through 11, and Psalm 110, where David prophesies of the Messiah Jesus, his resurrection and his ascension. He's declaring the very things that God had given to the people of God. Isn't that cool? And it speaks of Jesus. 3,000 are saved and baptized. Oh, but it doesn't stop there. Just in case you didn't think they were bonkers about praying the Psalms and declaring who Jesus was in the Psalms, things start to heat up. And they start to be persecuted. And by Acts chapter 4, we find that Peter and John have been arrested and they've been thrown into prison and they threaten them. And they say, hey, listen, don't preach Jesus anymore. Um... And they were like, yeah, we're not going to do that. Where do you get the boldness? Where do you get the, the, the confidence to be able to stand up when people are trying to stand you down? Where does that come from? That comes through the power of the Spirit, through somebody who is soaked in the Word and learns how to pray the prayers that point to Jesus. And so what happens is that Peter begins to speak to the Sanhedrin, the very council that along with the Roman government sentenced Jesus to die. And he says, starts preaching from Psalm, I think it's Psalm 110. The stone that the builders rejected has what? Become the chief cornerstone. And there's such authority on his words that the place is just amazed. They're all standing there and they're looking at these guys and they're like, these guys don't have any formal education. They're not educated in the scriptures like we are. But they sure look a lot like Jesus. They must be hanging around. They must have hanged around him. I think that's a great credential, by the way. How many of you want that as your credential? That you've been hanging around Jesus. Can I tell you how you how you learn how to hang out with Jesus? Learn how to pray his prayers. And so they preach the Psalms and then they just get out of here. And they go and guess what they do? They hold a prayer meeting. You'll never guess what they decided to pray. 
for the guys that just arrested them so that they could have boldness because as they ended that prayer meeting, this is a good way to end a prayer meeting, that the whole place is shaken and everybody's filled with the Holy Spirit and you're like so pumped up, you go out and speak the word with boldness. That's what they did, Acts 4.31. But guess what they were praying that really triggered this, this fresh release of God's power and authority so that they could stand up in the face of persecution and threats. They were praying Psalm 2. Psalm 2 says, why do the nations rage? And why do the kings of the earth set themselves up against the Lord and the Lord's anointed? God says, I have set my king. <laughs> right? This is my, my, my anointed one. And he says to his son, I ask of me, I will give you the nations as an inheritance. And then the psalm goes on and it says, kings of the earth, you know, kiss the son lest he become angry with you and you perish in your way. Ooh, I just like that. Come on, who doesn't like, how many of you, you know, we, we know that vengeance is the Lord and all that stuff, but can I just say that my guilty pleasure is watching like revenge movies? I hate to say it, but you know, you know what I'm saying? Because you just want somebody to make that injustice right. I don't care if Liam Neeson is 100 years old, man. I want him to kick somebody's butt. (laughs) When you start to pray scripture, when you start to pray the Psalms and God gives you words, all of a sudden you start to say, yeah, God, do it. (laughs) And they're praying Psalm chapter 2 and they're saying, God, you get them. But I love the fact that there's this mercy in there and it's like, God, you know, the kings of the earth. So if you read Psalm 2, um, I believe that they were also praying, Lord, would they kiss the sun? This is what I like to do. The, the Franklin Prayer House, that is still one of the most active prayer houses in the in Nashville region, um, which I'm so grateful for, so humbled to be able to have been a part of that founding. But it really was founded as from a prayer meeting where we just gathered the city together to pray for our city, that God would revive our city and move in our nation. And it was prior to an election. And you know what? I always say this. I pray non, I, 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 when I'm leading groups and praying, I lead nonpartisan prayers. I vote partisan <laughs> because I try to vote things that I believe are closest to the kingdom of God and values, okay? But when I'm praying, what I want to do is I got I to gotta get rid of my agendas. I got to get God's agenda. And the way that I can do that is I get anchored to Scripture, which means I can love the people that I disagree with. And how do I do that? So, I'm, so what happens if I'm praying like Peter, like 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 Paul starts to, t- starts to teach Timothy? Then I start to pray, Oh Lord, whoever is in in you know in in a position of authority, Lord, would you help them? Would you bless them? God, we pray that you would just move so that we can, so that the, so that the church can be free and that you're so good, you want everybody to come to repentance, including those who are elected officials that you might not love, right? Might not like. And so I began to pray these things, but, or praying Psalm 2, Lord, help them kiss the sun. Because here's the thing. Anybody who holds a position of authority, and that's not just in politics. We're talking about in your role, whatever you're called to, a parent. All of us are responsible to God for the authority that you, that you wield, right? And when you begin to pray scripture, I start to yield and surrender to the lordship of Jesus. Because here's the thing. Father Patrick Henry Reardon wrote a great book called Christ in the Psalms, which has inspired a lot of, a lot of this teaching. But here's the thing. He says that the kernel of all prayer is this, thy will be done. When I learn how to pray the Lord's Prayer and pray the Psalms, what's happening is my, so my will, all my, starts to come under the subjection of Jesus. 
And then as I pray, now I can pray with authority because I know that God is the judge. And when you hear, when you read the Psalms and it says, Lord, let justice come, let judgment come, you think, wait a minute, what, what in the world? Because God's justice, when God comes and judges things, he is the righteous judge and he never gets it wrong. And so for, for, for when, we're, when we're in bondage and when we, need, when we know that things need to change, ultimately God knows that too. And us aligning and saying, Lord, bring your judgment. Bring your, your truth. You know, we're praying now in alignment. We're saying what Jesus taught us to pray and what is re- repeated throughout the, the text in the, in the Psalms. Lord, let your will be done. Let your justice come. Let it be expressed. Let heaven be expressed here on earth. Isn't that a good way to pray? And so Psalm 2, once again, they were praying that. And, uh, and so they, they were shaken and they went out and spoke the word with boldness. So in case you're not convinced, Paul goes on to the early church and he's writing to all these churches that he planted. And in Ephesians chapter 5, it says this, verse 19, speak to one another with psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. Make melody in your heart to the Lord. Man, I hope that you, as you get soaked in the Psalms, that they become so much a part of you that you can't help but it just comes out. If you are in a, uh, even in a difficult place, you can go to some of these songs of laments. Thank you, Lord, for praying this in my, for me, and for bearing my pain and my shame. Isaiah 53 says that that's what Jesus did for us. Isn't that wonderful? And so we're supposed to be full of the scripture and full of the Psalms and sing these to the Lord in your prayer life and speak to one another. In Colossians 3.16, he says this, let the word of Christ dwell within us richly with all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another with what? You'll never guess. Psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with thankfulness in our hearts to the Lord. Oh, it's so good. See, when the song of the Lord gets inside of you, it can't help but come out. Some of you, that might be a good thing. Maybe me too. I mean, have you ever been in a funk and all that comes out is just a bunch of garbage that, that, that nobody wants to hear? But what would happen if you allow, even, even when you're, you're tempted to kind of have other words and other feelings and all that stuff, to let the words of God dwell richly in you so that that's what comes out. I'd like that tune to get stuck in my heart. How about you? Rather than, I don't know, Sweet Home Alabama. You're welcome. <laughs> I love the guitar riff. I think it's cool. But the thing is, I want the words of God to dwell richly in me. How about you? So that you can be a person who is united with God, but then also is about the Father's business in the way that you're encouraging and loving one another. And so with that, I want to I bring us to a close by, by introducing us to the beginning of the Psalter. Because here's the thing. As I said before, David prayed the Psalms, and that's fine and, and, and good, but, Jesus, but, but he was inspired by the Spirit to actually prophesy of Jesus. And Jesus prays the Psalms. And now when we pray, we get to pray the Psalms in Jesus' name. And Psalm 1 is just proof of this. It serves as a formal introduction to the Psalter. And it tells us something, and I want to read it together and see who we discover in Psalm chapter 1. It says this, Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor stands in the path of sinners, nor sits in the seat of the scornful. His delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law he meditates day and night. He shall be like a tree 
planted by rivers of water that brings forth its fruit in season. And his leaf does not wither, and whatever he does prospers. Uh, That sounds awesome. I'd like to be that guy. But the ungodly, they're not so. They're like the chaff that is driven away by the wind. Therefore, the ungodly shall not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the ungodly shall perish. When we look at this first passage, some of your translations, maybe modern translations say, you know, blessed is the person or blessed is the one. But in the actual Hebrew, the better translation of this is actually the man. Because the the Hebrew word there is, is a specific man. It's speaking of a specific person. He, uh, Psalm 1 says this, meet the man. Now, I understand that you are actually in a series about, uh, about the origins and about you're in Genesis. Well, can I say that what's really cool about Psalm 1 and Psalm 2 as kind of the introduction to the Psalter, to the Psalms, is that, as I said, it speaks of Jesus. But here's the thing. Genesis 1, uh, Psalm 1 is like a little mini Genesis, and Psalm 2 is like a little mini Revelation. It's so cool. If you read Psalm 1 and then you think about Eden, and then you read Psalm 2 and you think about the final judgment and the sovereign king, and you look at Revelation 19 leading into 20, 21, 22, and the God bringing his final justice and, and renewal of heaven and earth, uh, then what we see is that it, it just connects so well to even the way that the Psalter introduces us to Jesus and how to pray. And Psalm 1, first of all, as you read this, you think, oh, it kind of, it really does remind me of Adam, Adam in the garden. Because sure, someone planted by streams of living water. Remember, Eden was, 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 was watered by, by, these, by these rivers, and it was a fruitful place. And yet what happened to Adam, uh, he could not even abide with the law that God had given at that time, right? Couldn't even stand there. And so we think, oh, the, I, I would love to be a person that everything I do prospers and then I walk in a water, well-watered, full life. And yet he couldn't do it. And he became more like the last half of this psalm where it says, but the ungodly are not so. They can't stand in the way of the righteous, And who do you think of? What happened to Adam and Eve when they fell? They were removed from the garden, separated from God. And yet God made a way. And here's the beautiful thing. When you start to read Romans, we start to find that Paul starts to talk about another Adam. Here comes a man, another man to the rescue, the second Adam, or better put, the last Adam. And who is that? It's Jesus. And so when you read Psalm 1, I believe what Psalm 1 is saying is this, meet the man, meet Jesus the new Adam, the one who's the creator and redeemer of all things. You'd be wise. This is a wisdom. This is a wisdom psalm. You'd be wise to place your life in his. That's when all that you do will prosper and you'll find life abundantly. Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. I am. Or Paul puts it this way, I am crucified with Christ, nevertheless I live, and the life I now live, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. My life is in Christ. How many times does Paul say in Christ, right? 
And so when I read Psalm 1, I'm praying, Lord, help me. I cannot even fulfill the law of God, but now in Christ I can, full, I can be righteous because of the one who has fulfilled it all. The one who, fully God, fully man, the incarnate son of God, who came to redeem creation from within. Isn't that awesome? Pray Psalm 1 and meet the creator and redeemer of all things. And I don't have time to read Psalm 2, but if I were to move on and read Psalm 2, which starts with why do the heathen rage, nations rage. Psalm 2 says this second half of a very important thing when you're going to follow Jesus and you're going to be somebody who prays and enjoys fellowship with God throughout your lifetime and throughout eternity, honestly, if you're a believer in Jesus. Psalm 1 says Jesus is creator and redeemer. Psalm 2 says, and Jesus is Lord. And that's one of the most, uh, and I want to ask the band to come on up here, but this is one of the most simple and profound confessions that the church could make is Jesus is Lord. Even before we had all these other uh, creeds, which are wonderful, and I love that, and really help us understand, but it starts by here, Jesus, which means salvation, is Lord, sovereign king, and ruler over all. This is the one that God has anointed as the ruler of all things. And we would do well to be able to say that. How many of you here today would be able to say, as you think and meditate on Psalm 1 and 2, say, Jesus is Lord. Can we try that? Jesus is Lord. Wow. And I want to invite you to pray. We're going to pray the Psalms condensed this morning, okay? I want to invite you to stand with me, and I want us to pray this prayer that Jesus taught us to pray. And now, as you marry that with with your meditation and praying the Psalms in Jesus' name, I'm praying that your prayer life will be energized. How many want your prayer life to be energized in this season where you get closer to the Lord and you learn how to pray his words? But let's start with the Lord's Prayer together. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come and thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. And forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who have trespassed against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen.